And so if you would turn your attention to John chapter 8, beginning in verse 51. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow there in the bulletin. There's a uh, pretty well-known British minister. um, He's been a pastor, writer, scholar named John Stott. And uh, he wrote a book about preaching, and he said that he'll never forget this occasion when he was speaking at a conference. And right before the conference came, he got laryngitis. And uh, I guess they had some amplification, but he... um, he preached in a whisper, and he was just going, oh, no, of, of all days, you know, of, of all nights to get it now. And this was all planned for months. And he gets up and he preaches, and uh, he just said, he thought about Paul's words. The, the Apostle Paul talks in the New Testament about when he came to a church and he spoke to them, he said, I did not come in eloquence, but in weakness. Um, and God showed himself strong. And John Stott said... For years after that conference, he got letters from men and women who said they became Christians that night, of all nights. And I thought about that because uh, uh, my voice has literally gotten worse since 1030. And um, all I can say is, I'm sorry, I know it's not fun to listen to. You're probably thinking, I'll take the southern accent over that. But... but, But you know, in our weakness, God is strong. And so maybe this is the very morning when uh, something is going to come through that maybe had never come through. And um, this is plan A. God is operating on plan A. Um, When you were coming up, did you ever do your mama jokes? (laughs) To make an utterly awkward segue and transition? Um, you know, they're funny in a controlled setting. You know, they're funny if, if you're with two or three people that you know that you like and, and they like you or if it's a comedian who does this for a living. You know, these are the... And the, the, usually the more ludicrous, the better. You know, your mama's so big that to get a wallet-sized photo, they had to take an aerial shot. You know, that, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> In real life, if you do one of these, it, it, it's like life-threatening. Um, I mean, if you talk about someone's parent, that, that gets about as close to their heart of hearts as you can get. Uh, the, the, the wrong comment, especially a joke at a parent's expense, really gets where people live. That is relevant to this text. Uh, Now, not because Jesus is joking about anyone's parent, but the conversation that precedes this text deals with who really is your father. And if we we read between the lines, before this text, I'm going to mention this in a little bit, there's actually a comment made, and I, I really think it's sort of one of a kind in the New Testament, it's a joke at some level about, or at least a, a put-down, about Jesus' mother, Mary. And what I want you to see is this, is that that really gets where people live, but it doesn't become life-threatening until Jesus makes 
this last claim in this, in this exchange, in this encounter. And it's not the comments about parents that almost get him killed. It's this last claim. And what I want you to think about is that on the one hand, this is the claim that absolutely pushed the people he was talking to over the edge. But this is the claim that really is simultaneously the most disturbing thing and the most comforting. It is simultaneously the most disturbing thing that could be true, but if it's true, it could be the, the most wonderful thing imaginable. It, it would be too good to be true. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 51. <clears throat> Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray together. Our Father, we of all people need your word. We are not strong. We are not good. We change. Our hearts are naturally hungry and thirsty. And so you who are strong, you who give sight to the blind, would you show us yourself? You who feed with a feast from the banquet table, would you feed us now with your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, What I want to look at in this text is, is this particular encounter, but to understand this encounter... In John 8, and, so, and there's, this is a long dialogue between Jesus and a group listening to him, a group of onlookers. And so I want to look at how did the encounter reach this point before we consider the point. And then after we look at how we've gotten to this point, then what does Jesus claim that seems even more inflammatory, kind of pushes the people he's listening to over the edge? And then after that to ask, all right, so what? So in light of these things, so what? All right, first off, how did this encounter 
get to this point because by the time we pick it up, you can tell it's, it's already hot to the touch. Here's what happened. Jesus, you got this from the last verse, verse 59. Jesus is speaking to a group of people in, the, in Jerusalem. Now that is very important because all the earth belongs to the Lord. One of the Psalms says that. The earth, the earth is the Lord's and all that dwell therein. But there was something special about Judea. And then in Judea, the most special place was Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, the most special place was the temple where God chose His name to dwell. No place on earth like it. That's where they're standing. And I want, so I want you to think about this. <clears throat> Flag burning in the United States, very offensive. You can do it, but very offensive. But it would be one thing to like burn a flag uh, at a demonstration at night in Seattle. It would be another thing to burn a flag by the entrance to Arlington Cemetery. You know, as families are coming and going from laying, you know, veterans, veterans of foreign wars to rest. I mean, it, you really would just about take your life in your hands if you did it there because feelings are so high. Special real estate, right? That's the temple. And if there's any place that a Jew period, but a Jewish leader or a Jewish teacher would really feel their Jewishness, their Judaism, boy, it would be that spot. That's where this encounter takes place. Now, what happened? We looked last week at Jesus standing up and he says, I'm the light of the world. And right after that, the onlookers say this, you don't have a witness to what you're saying. In other words, you're making these big grandiose claims about yourself, but it's just you talking. No one's there. There's not a second or third person to corroborate it. To which Jesus said, and this is all in John 8, Jesus says, well, my Father witnesses to it. Now, here's the thing. You and I, if we're reading our Bible, you know, our English Bible, and we're reading John 8, and we read Jesus saying, my Father witnesses to everything that I say, and Father's capitalized, and we know a little bit about Jesus, and we know how this works, then we know that He means God, right? But that's not what the crowd would have heard. They would have thought, little f, dad. So he says, yeah, I do have a witness. My father witnesses to me. So they ask, where's your dad? Because most likely by this point, Joseph is dead. And he says, you don't know my father. And you don't know me. And then he says this, if you will abide in my word, You'll be my disciples. Now, now think about this. Think about that in this crowd are Pharisees and experts in biblical law who have sat under literal rabbis, and they were very biased about their rabbis. And they were literal disciples. In other words, not synonym for Christian. They were literal pupils who sat at the feet of a rabbi and learn from him as his students, his disciples. 
And Jesus stands up there, trained, and says, If you will abide in my word, my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's from John 8. To which the crowd responds, Okay, first off, we've never been anybody's slaves, which is a strange claim because the big narrative in Jewish history was what? It was the Jewish people being enslaved in Egypt and then rescued from slavery through Moses. I mean, we heard some of that in the Old Testament reading, right? And they say to him, we've never been enslaved to anybody. Our father is Abraham. Now, it is hard to get across how big a deal Abraham is. I mean, think about this. In the Quran, the biblical name that appears the most, except for Moses, is Abraham. That's in the Quran. Major shadow of influence over the Middle East. Um, To the point where when Jesus once told a parable about someone going to heaven, the way he conveyed going to heaven, he said that this, this man who died and went to heaven, he says, he went to Abraham's bosom. And boy, to their ears, that would be, ah, rest, you know, heaven, home, identity. They would love that. Abraham, in some ways, is the man, the father of all these nations, especially the Jewish nation. Abraham is our father. To which Jesus says, no. Because if he was your father, you would act like your father. You'd think like your father. You would do what your father did. But actually, you do what your father does. And then they said this, and here's the dig. They said, we are not illegitimate children. Now, do you catch what they're saying in between the lines? When you lived in a day that thought a lot more about family and thought more in community terms, it's not just different individuals, and people conveyed history through oral you know, recollection, passing things down, it would be remembered by more than one person that Jesus' mother had him before she and Joseph were married. And they didn't have, you know, the Charlie Brown Christmas special to explain it to them. They just knew that she wasn't married yet, and she got pregnant, and she had Jesus. Now, maybe that had sort of been socked away, and they thought, thought well of Mary. Sorry. Ninja-like reflexes. Did you see that? That may be the most athletic thing I ever did, and I was, I was in front of a crowd. That was awesome. Let's close in prayer. <clears throat> End on a high note. We're not illegitimate children. And Jesus says, you're right about that. Now, this is where the oven goes really high. Because your father is the devil. And you're not of God. And then they say to him, you're a Samaritan 
and you have a demon. Now, standing, a Jewish crowd speaking to a Jewish man in the temple in Jerusalem, that would be throwing down, that's beyond throwing down the gauntlet. You're a half-Jew, which means you're a non-Jew, and you're demon-possessed. And that's where this text starts. So, feelings are high. What does Jesus claim now? Two things, and when he makes these claims on both of them, he says something that sounds like a rabbi, but it's very unique. It would be more customary for a rabbi to end with saying amen to a claim or to to citing an authority. But Jesus twice begins his words by saying amen Amen. We, we, we translate it, truly, truly, I say to you. It means, hey, all disciples, get out your notepads. This is important. The first thing he says is this. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you keep my word, you'll never see death. Now, here's the thing. Especially if you've grown up in the church or around the Bible, you hear that and you automatically go metaphorical. Because maybe you've kind of learned, Jesus teaches that, teaches that way sometimes, so that's just, you know. They would take the words at face value. They were probably better with metaphors than we are. But they just hear a man say, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, if you will keep my word, not another rabbi's word, not even Keep the Torah. Not even keep the biblical law. If you will keep my words that I walk around and say, you'll live forever. That's not what pushes it over the edge. Although they do say, okay, all right, we're validated. Do you see why we said that you're demon-possessed? It's, that's crazy talk. I mean, Abraham died. He's the man. Abraham died. The prophets died. We can walk you to some of their tombs. And you're greater than Abraham or the prophets. And then what does Jesus say? This is, this is the claim. Amen, amen. I say to you, before Abraham was, and it probably would have been okay if he said, before Abraham was, I was. And I don't get polemical very often. I don't, I don't teach normally and, and single out a group. But I will here because it's appropriate. If you've ever seen Jehovah's Witnesses walking through the streets, walking through our neighborhoods, we have been visited several times. They're very avid <clears throat> in going out, and, which is commendable. But a major, major, major problem between the evangelical church and Jehovah's Witnesses, and this is why it would be regarded not as a denomination, but as a sect, is because, in some ways, of how they translate this verse. If you read this verse in their translation, and I'm not saying this in a condescending way, this is just being straightforward. It's a mistranslation. In their translation, it will say, "...before Abraham was, I was." That would have just sounded wacko. 
Now, lunacy did not carry the death penalty. You might be shunned or you might be neglected if you were a lunatic. But it didn't carry the death penalty. Blasphemy did. And they heard what Jesus... That's why verse 59 is so important that when he said this sentence, people reached for big rocks to take him out. Horrible way to die. There was a woman stoned in Somalia last week. Horrible way to die. They reach for the stones when he says this. Before Abraham was, I am. And everything that you've read in your scriptures, in the law, in the prophets about Yahweh, that's who I am. And they try to execute him. Now, what are we supposed to do with that? And I want to think about a few things before we close. One is this. I I want you to think about what Jesus left. In other words, if he is Yahweh, what he left. And this is something that we're going to think about and sing about a lot during Advent. One of the songs that I love which is going to be sung at Lessons and Carols, okay, shameless, shameless plug, is Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor. And it talks about that this, this person who lived in royalty, who lives in bliss, who lives in wealth, leaves it. And the refrain is, Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake, becamest poor. I mean, uh, a few weeks ago, we got a dog. And we loved this dog. And, we, and one of the you know, stipulations, parameters, because Presbyterians have parameters. And uh, one, of the, one, of the, kidding, one of the parameters was, has to be from the pound. And, and actually has to be a mutt, which does usually travel well together. And, um, and so she comes into our house, and it's been fun. And, you know, sometimes it's easy just looking at Jesse uh, to think, you know, that was pretty great of us. You know, the pound is chaos. She was just skin and bones when we got her. She's already filled out. And... Uh, Man, now she's just like up sitting on the couch, curled up, you know, looking at you, tail going. Maybe she's watching a movie. And you think, boy, what? Well, that's incredible. And you feel like, boy, I I really did something. You know, like I walked into the pound and rescued this dog. What if you became a dog? And automatically, where your mind might go is, well, that's a ludicrous comparison for a man to become a god. I mean, for a man to become a dog. It pales. Because this is just a movement between creatures. For a man to become a beetle. For a man to become an ant. But the Creator, John 1 tells us, became flesh. And He did it. And what did He, what he, what did he gain by becoming flesh? He's still flesh. He wasn't from all eternity flesh. And, he, and Yahweh, I am, 
became, what did he gain? What personal benefit? None. For love's sake, he became poor. Paul says that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Now that is what he left. Jesus has not always been flesh and bones. But he left and became it. Um, what did he do? You know, okay, we, what, what, we looked at what he left. How about what he did? And here's what I want you to think about. He showed us in a way that nothing ever has who God is. I want to be careful here. If all we had been given were the scriptures of the Old Testament, that would be lavishly more than we ever could have hoped for. But he literally fleshed out how God conveyed who he is and what he does. Jesus literally fleshed it out. And think about what this means. Even in this encounter with this crowd... You read in the Old Testament and sometimes you see God's severity. He will flood the earth. Or people will drop into a chasm that He creates in the earth. And God doesn't rush in and say, sorry, 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 I was angry. He will be angry, He will punish sin, and there will be no apology. Severity. And look at Him standing by Himself with a group of people saying, you're right. You're right. You do have a dad. It is the devil. And like father, like son, severe, bold. But what do you, what do you also see? I mean, in the Old Testament, sometimes juxtaposed with severity and wrath, punishment, unbelievable compassion, patience. Mercy. I mean, think about this. If your pet, let's say if if you have children and a pet, if your pet tried to kill one of your children, not hurt, not bite, tried to kill one of your children, and then what if your pet tried it and then did kill your, your child? Would you keep the pet? Or would you put it down? Because here's what I want you to think about. As one person put it, all of us want an airtight argument for all the questions. You know, we want an airtight argument for the existence of God. And as one person said, God did not send an airtight argument. He sent an airtight person. And here is Jesus being both severe as God the Son, but what is He also saying? He is looking at a group of people that he knows is about to try and kill him with rocks. A terrible way to die. People he made. And what does he say? He says, not truly, it is said that, but he says to them, if you will keep my word, you'll live forever. Isn't that amazing? 
that we're the beneficiaries of those words, but he says it to the people who would be his assassins and executors. If you will keep my word, you'll live forever. With me, severity, mercy, brutal honesty, grace. What else? What does he offer? He says you'll live forever. You won't die. Um, There was a minister named Charles Spurgeon. Um, uh, Now I'm sniffling too. This is awesome. By the way, I'm not handling the elements today, so take heart. Just wipe that out of your mind. Last thing. Charles Spurgeon, he's a British minister in the 1800s, he made a great statement. He said, I love shalls on God's lips. He would be preaching from the King James. That when God, you know, when a man says he shall do this, he probably won't. He may or may not, but it may, he might not. When God says shall, he always does. And, and I would say that and remind us of that is that has anybody ever broken contract with you in business? Or told you they would do something and forgot or didn't follow through? Or they told you they would love you forever and they betrayed you? That's man. But Jesus, God in the flesh, stands and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you will keep my word, you will never see death. And essentially what he is saying is, all the fairy tales that you love will actually come true. Because we love stories where the bad guy kills the hero or the heroine and someone comes and kisses and their eyes open and the color comes back in their face and they live. And it makes all the sad things come untrue. We love that. And Jesus is essentially saying, that will happen if you believe. If you believe. And let me end with this. In verse 56, verse 56, Jesus said a strange thing. Abraham saw me and he rejoiced. And of course they thought that was a weird claim. It is a weird claim. Because their lives did not overlap. You don't find Abraham walking around in the Gospels. What does that mean? And why is that so upsetting? Because they're thinking he means see with the physical eye. And what is Jesus saying? No, 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 no. I know that he lived over a millennium ago. I know that. But he did see me with the eye of faith. And something that is quoted from the Old Testament, a bunch in the New Testament, is how Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And you know what? Abraham did not grow up going to vacation Bible school. His parents were idol worshipers. But God comes to him and singles him out. And here's the good news. Gives him the faith 
to enable him to believe him. Doesn't just give him all the promises, but gives him the faith to believe the promises. I want to say this to you. Some of you here this, this morning don't believe. And I, I cannot offer to you an airtight argument. I think if you want to, you can try to, you can whittle it down or argue back. But what God's word offers to us this morning is an airtight, the airtight person. You want God's perfections, both disturbing and comforting. Here he is, to the point where he can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've believed, your body will die. But you won't taste death. You'll go from life to more life. You will pass away. But if you don't believe, what I would urge you to do is to cry out to this Jesus and say, I need you to give me the ability to believe you. Because I don't believe the fairy tales and I don't want to die. Go to him and say, give me the thing you require. And then brace yourself. (laughs) Maybe not that moment, maybe not that week, but cry out to one who can give you the ability to take him at his word. He is fully man and he is fully God. Very God of very God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that for love's sake you became poor. For our sake you became mortal. We praise you, O God the Son. We praise you that you are seated on your throne at the Father's right hand. You do look now as you truly are. But thank you for conquering death and sin. Oh Lord, if we do not believe, would you who have all authority in heaven and on earth, would you enable us to believe for the first time or to believe you yet again? We ask this in your name. Amen.